You're listening to a Westpac Wire podcast. Westpacwire.com.au. So I'd like to introduce uh, each of our panellists uh, individually onto the stage. Firstly, uh, Roisin Parks is the CTO of Gumtree Australia. Uh, Roisin's been in tech for two decades, so she leads Gumtree Australia's tech strategy and operations as the Chief Technology Officer, or CTO, as it just said. Uh, Roisin's been on a mission in the past year, I have to say, to, to try and challenge the perceptions and the conversations we're having around the lack of women in, in STEM environments. She recently launched a, a meetup series, dedicated meetup series, which brings together senior female tech leaders and their supporters here in Sydney. I know she's extremely excited and passionate about that. And we look forward to listening to a, a little bit more about that today. Also, can I introduce to you Lucinda Hartley? She's the co-founder of Neighbourlytics. Now, Lucinda is an urban designer, social entrepreneur, one of Australia's leading voices on community-led neighbourhood development. So she spent the past decade pioneering all sorts of new approaches to, I think they call it participatory design uh, and placemaking in your industry. Uh, and Lucinda's work is absolutely recognised right around the world. She's the co-founder of Co-Design Studio and Neighbourlytics. So they're helping to build the world's first social data analytics platform for neighbourhood development. It was recently selected for Blue Chili's highly competitive She Starts Accelerator. And our third panellist today, Julie Trell. Julie's from Muradi, uh, tech startup accelerator, and CEO Australia, which is also a new initiative in Australia anyway. Uh, Julie's experience spans startups, corporate environments, where she's, I've got to say, have, have had some pretty funky titles, I'll put it like that. <laughs> One of these people who has been the founder and chief life officer of Playful Purpose and vice president of all things fun, meaningful and rewarding at salesforce.com foundation. Julie was one of the US leads in launching CEO Radical Generosity in the US. Uh, this is a global initiative transforming how we support, how we finance and how we celebrate female entrepreneurs. So welcome to uh, Rasheen, Lucinda and Julie. Uh, there will be an opportunity to ask questions in this part of the, uh, the summit today. Uh, there are microphones, so I'll just say if you would like to ask a question, just stick your hand up and I'll, I'll go to you. I won't call it out. I don't want the crickets thing that sometimes happens, but please, if you're confident enough, just throw your hand up uh, and make sure we see you and we'll just, we'll just ask the questions as we go. We'll just in incorporate that into the conversation. And also, I have to remind you of the um, live codes. I think they're going to put up the... Uh, the tablet option where you can um, send your questions in anonymously because sometimes that's the, the easiest way as well. So make sure you do that and I'll be incorporating that through the HP tablet as we move through the discussion. Um, so welcome all of you ladies. Thank you. Um, I guess one of the things we've already worked out is that Vogue Codes is um, as much about creativity as anything, not just necessarily coding. Um, I think Mina had some very powerful comments there about um, even just her upbringing, the people who have been influential in her life. Lucinda, um, I know that you have had a very strong uh, family connection to the industry, although you kind of tried to go the creative side from very early on, much to the disappointment, I think, of, of your parents initially <laughs> anyway. Um, you have pursued quite a creative path in life, and yet mm. you're here at, at this kind of tech-focused conference. When did you become aware that you could become, be a, a, a tech person, have a career in tech? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think in some ways, like Mina, I, I, I come from this long line of um, technical women and I've only really 
realized recently how unusual that is. So mm. my grandmother was one of the first doctors in the 1940s and she couldn't even enter medicine because her school didn't teach the prerequisite subjects. She had to do a bridging year in order to get in. Uh, my mother's a climate scientist and she was a climate scientist in the 70s uh, when that was, you know, I'm not saying it's not hard work now, it is, we've got a lot of work to do, but a really huge battle to fight. Um, so when I decided that I wasn't going to pursue science and I was going to do design, that was actually the rebellious move in my family. <laughs> Um, but the funny thing is, is that I, I think I've now come full circle and, you know, after having a career in urban design, um, I'm, I'm fundamentally passionate about solving the problems of cities and particularly how we make cities more socially sustainable and have realised, you know, with 70% with of the world going to be living in cities by 2050, we're going to have to use technology to solve that problem. And so that's led us to launch Neighbourlytics last year uh, to look at how we can use social data as a means of understanding how cities work. I feel I can't go too much further without mentioning Eurydice Dixon because we've all talked yep. about this so much in the last week. And it, I'm, I'm raising it because essentially cities are designed by men yep. for men. And you've kind of in, in past commentary said that this is, you know, sometimes one of the reasons why women feel unsafe in particular cities. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, I mean, the incident, um, or you know, the act of violence against Eurydice Dixon last week um, in Princess Park in Melbourne, I just think highlights this. Um, again. Uh, but even cities like Melbourne, which are held up on the world stage as being the most livable in the world seven years running, 30% of women, or some statistics say 50% of women, don't feel safe at night. And if you think about how decisions are made about we're designing cities, where your public transport goes, where your housing goes, where the parks are, where it's light, where it's dark, those decisions are largely still made by men. And if we want to think about how we actually change the way that we live, we have to think at all levels about where those decisions are being made and how that deeply impacts our decision-making on a day-to-day -day basis. Yep. Rasheen, can I bring you in? Yeah. We've already got a question on the, uh, the HP tablet here. Um, I, I direct it to you because I know that you've actually had a career of 20 years in technology and your mm -hmm. father very early on yeah. encouraged you to go into it. Um, so perhaps early on you were encouraged. What about through your career, though, when you might have been, as this question asks, discouraged about pursuing your chosen career? And, and what did you do? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I think um, early on in my career, I was very focused on actually, you know, just getting on with what I was doing, the projects I was working on, um, the people I was working with. And I didn't really think too much about what it actually meant or it didn't feel too strange to me mm. that I was the only girl in the room for a, a lot of that. I think I was incredibly lucky in that <clears throat> from a very, from very, very early on in my career, I did have some fantastic male supporters mm. um, who really kind of believed in me and what I could do, but not only what I could do, but what I was potentially capable of. Um, and so they gave me opportunities that I wouldn't necessarily have had. So um, it, even even with all of that, there has been periods in my career when I actually thought, okay, um, do I actually really deserve to be here? There, there's always that yeah. point in time when, you know, you get some feedback or you get a nev negative response from your manager. And you kind of think, oh, is this really for me? Um, and I think it was just pure stubbornness, really, <laughs> that kept me in the industry for that long. But I've also been incredibly fortunate with the, the people that I've worked with, the vast majority of them being men. Um, and I think that was something that struck me recently. I was reading um, a, a report that came out in the US 
Um, and they actually had surveyed 5,500 women who had left at a midpoint in their career, left the technology industry, with the sole aim of finding out why. Um, and I think we have these preconceptions that women are leaving the industry to look after children or because they don't feel they have um, the right technical skills. But actually, the number one thing they said was support from your manager or lack of support from your manager was the reason that people were leaving. Mm. So I think the, I have been incredibly fortunate to have very supportive managers over the vast majority of my career and you can feel um, you know during that time when you wobble it's because you mm. may not necessarily have that support mm. and as Tim said maybe earlier don't listen to everyone's feedback yeah well <laughs> Julie, that's, that's yeah. a big um, thing that I've learned I think is yeah. to actually filter the feedback for sure yeah. and actually having a manager that helps you the feedback is even yeah. better <laughs> Julie um, which question is because how I got into it? I just see you nodding so furiously. Yeah, so, so, so I'm, like, I'm just going to throw it open. We have three minutes left. Um, I was thinking about this, how I got into it. Mm. And this was really, really early days um, when I was coding. So I'm not a coder, but I like to play one on a panel. Um, <laughs> I, it's beginners, all-purpose, symbolic inc uh, in instruction code. Does anyone know what that is? Basic. It was this basic, very simple code that I remember learning in second grade, you know, 10, print, and then you write something. And I think I might have written, like, I love Bobby Kennedy, who, not the politician, but he was in my second grade class. <laughs> and then line two was 10, go to line 20, go to 10. And I got to show it up on the screen. And so this was kind of making things work and, and being creative from a using code and the technology to make it work. And then I was just thinking about, does anyone remember Q-Link? This was back in the early 80s. It was precursor to AOL and chatting online and talking to people. So communication and that creative thing was about connecting people and having... Um, talking to people around the world and what they were up to. And one of my other titles I like to use also is uh, Human API. Mm -hmm. We're connecting things and connecting people <laughs> and resources. So I think the technology for that, for me, was really exciting. And not knowing much, I was, uh, I say that I know enough to be dangerous. And my roles were, I was a technology specialist in a middle school, and I was figuring out how to um, fix the, these Apple, the Mac, Power Mac 5400s that they ended up giving to the uh, education, and they, were, they all had problems with them. But I was literally, how I was fixing them was pulling the motherboard out of the computer, smacking the hard drive, putting it back in, and it would work. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one way. But then also, I just love the, the problem solving and the trying to think about, okay, that one computer that has the sad Mac or the question mark is coming up, and I would think about it, and it had me, my head moving and my brain moving and that creativity and trying to solve these problems. Mm. So that really got me excited. I don't know if I had necessarily a role model, but I, I did have teachers, my second grade teacher, that everything was okay to try out and question, and there weren't any real wrong answers when it came to arts and crafts and solving problems and, and communication. Mm. So I think that's... I love that someone has written in a question. It's exactly the, the phrase I thought of when I was listening to you a second ago, Rasheen, as well. Um, someone's asked, what are your tips for combating the imposter syndrome mm -hmm. in the moment? <laughs> I think we all... Uh, I, I've been very fortunate to interview um, amazing leaders from all around the globe, like we've heard today, and, and, and many of you would have come across them as well. And some of them do admit to the imposter syndrome, thinking, my gosh, why am I here? Are people going to finally one day see mm. through me and it's all going to fall apart? Um, what do you guys think of that? I think even just knowing it exists as a term yes, is yeah. awesome to be able to actually put a phrase on it and say, 
ah, that's, that's what, what I, I was feel. feeling. Yeah. Um, and then also knowing that other people go through the same thing. And as you say, hearing from these amazing leaders, and I know um, the founder of Atlassian was here last year talking mm. about exactly that. Mm. So yes, uh, it just even knowing that other people go through the same thing is really good. Yeah, I mm. liked, someone told me once, she's not going to go away, and I think she's important to be around because there's some validity to it, but let her just sit at the table you know, whine and scream and be there and try to ignore her, but she's going to be there. And I think a lot of the times that voice keeps us real mm -hmm. and keeps us in check. What so do you kind of look at her that way. What about you, Lucy? I was going to say, the older I get, the more I realize that most people are bullshitting most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I just try and remember that, that they're sounding really confident and successful but like I could sound like that too if I use present those company kinds of excluded. Words. No, no. So yeah, present <laughs> no, company excluded. Um, and obviously, there's a huge amount of people who are very no. inspiring. But that's sort of uh, the way I try and deal with it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so keep the thoughts coming because this is this thing's live, and we can just keep doing this. So keep all of the questions coming, please. Um, so let's talk about, I mean, we, we've heard various stats today, which are pretty alarming about the lack of women in STEM environments. Julie Bishop was talking a little bit about the the lack of um, the lack of kind of science and maths from very young ages in Australia. Julie, you said you kind of started, I think you were kind of third, fourth graders coding playing back with then, yeah, logo playing and with them. You, I guess with a lot of startups, you hear a lot of stories and probably got your own thoughts about why we're seeing, you know, it's so badly done at such an early point. And I guess we can see from that um, one example why we're at the point we are today. What do you think? Well, I can't comment necessarily on Australia, but in, in the accelerator that, that we're working with, 50% of the um, companies, co-founders are females. And it wasn't something that we tried to go out to do that. And it's, a, it's an older age even. The average age of our cohort, this, this cohort is about 35 or 36, and they have kids. We have one founder that brings her daughter to mentor nights. So she's holding her 12-month-old daughter um, speaking with, with mentors. And you know, so we're creating a space to make it easy and safe and speaking the language and trying to find the right women and, and that the language of getting people involved and interested in technology and the right jobs is also really important. Mm. Um, any thoughts, Lucinda, from you, from what you've, you've seen, your experience about why, or maybe it's the obstacles people encounter, why do you think we haven't got female representation in Australia in the tech industry? Yeah, it's I mean, a it, deep it's, one, I know, in, it's actually most industries, I guess, not, sure. but it's exaggerated in, in, in tech. Um, but, you know, to some of the commentary mentioned earlier today, I think, yes, we absolutely need to provide more education, but at least in my experience, it's the enabling environment to support that more than anything. Because I, I feel unusually I was very strongly encouraged in science and tech, but still felt incredibly isolated entering the workforce mm. uh, in that regard. And so what does that support network um, look like? But also recognising that tech is going to affect every industry, even if it's not mm. tech. So it's kind of come, it's, you know, it's a life skill now. It's not an optional add-on. Yeah. Do you see, from the startup perspective, you've, uh, um, Julie, you've said lots of women are there, and I think even the stats say that female uh, company startups actually financially are a better investment, so all the evidence yeah. is there, so maybe that's why they're stepping up. Um, but more broadly, what can you say is, uh, is the ways that we can kind of look at more supporting um, females in the industry more? And I think Rasheen's already offered some ideas about... Um, about that, I want to go back to you, Roshan, in a second. So, just with CEO, it's not necessarily women in tech, but it's it's sure. supporting small, mis small, medium, and biz businesses, and the the 
access to capital is really restricted. And so the model of CEO, um, we talked about not leveling the playing field, but creating a whole new playing field. You were just mm -hmm. saying about the cities are created by men, while a lot of this financial industry has also been created by men. So what CEO has, has set up is, um, it's a fund for female entrepreneur. The goal is to get at least 500 women to contribute $1,100, a half a million dollar fund that gets loaned out zero interest loans to female entrepreneurs selected by women. So women going to access, um, activate their capital, their buying power, and their network to support other women. And making it a safe space to, to build companies, whether they're tech, whether they're social enterprises, whether they're nonprofits, to make sure that they're, they're successful. And it's not finding the next unicorn, but finding like, growth in these small companies. I think um, Leila was saying that freelancers and small, small businesses is, is, is makes up 90% of economies most of the time. So this mm -hmm. initiative is really going to help get um, female entrepreneurs, uh, the, the, the access to capital that they need. So it's, again, creating that, that um, ecosystem, the, the community. Which is interesting because that sounds to me like the kind of models they've used in the developing world. And here you are talking about it in developed worlds. Now, kind of got, almost going back to things that we thought of years ago, but it's almost a refreshing approach in some ways, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, Rasheen, tell us about the meetup series that you... Um, so interestingly enough, um, when I was here last year, um, I heard Anastasia Camarato speak, and you've seen her this morning. Um, and one of the things that she talked about was that, you know, um, in an industry as diverse as technology, um, having so few women in here is not normal. Um, and so um, I had recently started my position. Yeah, I think she as said, where are all the women in yeah, the room? That's that right. kind of, yeah, um, so I'd re recently started my role as CTO in Gumtree and so kind of uh, I actually met Anastasia afterwards for coffee and was really inspired by our conversation. So one of the things that I, I kind of set out to do was to try and find a group of other CIOs and CTOs to see if we could su help support mm -hmm. each other. Um, so I started looking um, and I couldn't find another group that had, um, you know, that focus. And so I said, well, I'll just have to create my own. <laughs> so I set up this meetup group and then set about actually trying to find female CIOs and CTOs um, to join the group. And so I started a LinkedIn search and I went through 35 pages of LinkedIn results before I found another female CTO. <laughs> so that was a little bit discouraging for me. Um, so... Um, I kind of talked to a lot of um, people that I knew, um, both male and female um, senior leaders in technology in Australia and said, look, how about we get together and have a conversation and see if we can actually change this. And I did a bit of research and it turns out that only 10% of CIOs and CTOs in Australia are actually female. Um, so I set up the group with the intention of actually changing that ratio. So that's the the purpose of the group is to change the ratio from one in 10 to one in three, which reflects the current level of females within technology in Australia. So I said at least one in three is actually our goal. So at least we have reflected in senior leadership and technology um, females that match the number of females in technology. So targets. Okay, this gets to... <laughs> Yeah. Can you have targets without quotas? And how do you? I mean, how are you actually approaching this idea of where, that's what we're targeting? Yeah. How do you practically go about that? So we started, um, we actually launched in May and we started um, with a panel of um, uh, male and female technology leaders in Australia. 
And the conversation was really around, you know, what are the reasons why women at this mid-level in their career actually leave before they get a chance to become CIO or CTO. And so the three main things that they actually talk about is um, the number one reason is not having support from your manager. The second one is feeling stuck in your career or not feeling like you have an opportunity to actually move forward um, or you can't see where you're not involved in the conversations that lead to the really high, um, high visibility projects. And then the third one was actually um, kind of poor behavior within the technology industry or the perception of poor behavior within the technology industry. So those three were the, the top three reasons for women leaving, which was a huge surprise mm -hmm. to me. The other big surprise was that they were equally likely have to have children or not when they decided to leave. So 56% of women are leaving. Um, and they also were highly um, um, confident in their abilities. So it wasn't mm. a confidence reason for women actually leaving the technology industry. So we talked about what are the potential ways that we could keep them in the industry. Um, and I know we talk a lot about mentoring and mentorships, um, but in my mind, kind of mentoring women is all about um, kind of giving them encouragement and actually um, showing them what skills they do have. Um, but I think sponsorship is actually equally, if not more important. Where it's a difference. So for me, sponsorship is the sponsor has more skin in the game. So you're willing to go out on a limb and say, I really think we should choose Roshin for this project because she's done X, Y, Z. Sponsorship is having a person in a meeting room that you're not in speaking on your behalf. It's the person who gets you your next job, your next role, your next project. Whereas mentorship is kind of private. It's between mm. you and your mentor. And so people may not even know you have a mentor. But sponsorship is much more mm. about having skin in the game. And with 90% of the senior leaders in technology in Australia being male, it's incredibly important for women in technology to have mm. male senior sponsors. Julie, Lucinda, have you had male sponsors, not just mentors? Perhaps not explicitly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But um, I've certainly, yeah, felt supported in different ways. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, inf informally, yes. Mm. I know I've had many women sponsors mm. that yeah. have been that have stood up and connected in the network. I'm looking at one right here. <laughs> um, just Annie Parker. Um, just always having your back, connecting you to yeah. other uh, other amazing women that are going to shout for you and and sing your song and your praises. So it's not yeah. just in business. I think it's in the community. I love that idea of sponsors versus mentors. Mm. That really puts in very practical yeah. terms for people, doesn't it? Especially if we're speaking about um, male allies, as, as Mina did. Um, let's also pick up this question here. Um, you've just mentioned, you know, people coming and going from the workforce with children. Well, here's one from Naomi Shepherd. My daughters tell me they don't like maths and science. My son just gets on with it, whether he's good at it or not. So how do we get our smart young girls enthusiastic about STEM subjects? Mm. Who wants to tackle that? Um, so I actually have a son and a daughter. Yes. Um, my son is 10 years old and my daughter is eight. Um, and up until very recently, my daughter would have said that maths was her favourite subject at school, um, but that my son was the coder um, because he plays around with... Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the program that he uses. It's gone out of my head. But Scratch. anyway, Scratch, there you go. <laughs> so he plays around with Scratch and he builds things and he makes things um, and he really wants to know how it works. So he talks about while yeah. loops and, you know, very coding constructs. Whereas my daughter will use the exact same application and she will build 
characters and each character will have their own story and they will do different things but she sees that as you know being more creative and she doesn't actually um link that with uh, with the actual technology which is quite interesting to see how they both interact with it differently both doing exactly the same thing both coding but they both view it in a very different way I'm, I know you want to comment, but I'm going to move it on because this is actually a great question. To I, I think it extends all of this, but I'm going to direct this one to you, Julie, as a recent uh, arrival from America. This question says, how important is self-promotion to further one's career in a male-dominated industry such as tech? And how do you go about it without becoming or looking like you're aggressive or dominating? And I ask American, you, you know why I ask because you? Because I'm American. Because you're American. <laughs> and we're not... <laughs> because we're not very good at that in Australia. And we loved um, the self-deprecating humour of Tim. And it's, you know, this is like a cultural thing for us. It's very hard to self-promote oneself without uh, coming across as too much, you know. Right. Because Americans don't mind doing that. <laughs> I think for me it's, it's age. You know, I'm in my late 40s now. And so it's getting that comfortable knowing what I want and knowing what, what I believe in and not being afraid to ask. So... I wanted to come back on this panel to talk about Shio. I just asked. There was no, nothing wrong with that. What's the worst that they're going to say? No. Mm -hmm. um, and it's getting... We've, I've taken, and, and you've done this too, the trip up to the U.S. We took our, all of our companies up to the, to the U.S. to see what it was like in Silicon Valley. And that's on the way other spectrum of, you know, sitting here, not, I don't want to ask questions, but getting comfortable with that and, and promoting yourself and having the confidence... And it becomes that, that imposter voice will get a little bit quieter at times, but being bold in and owning it, and you'll feel a lot more authentic. You're able to make connections. Um, and it's been nice to, to be able to balance that. But for me, it's, it's been um, just knowing what I've, I've sat and I've listened, I know what feels right for me, and, and having the right conversations. All my jobs have been very serendipitous of what I've what, how I've gotten them. For instance, my job at Salesforce Foundation, I met Mark Benioff, no idea who he was. He was at Oracle at the time. He knew he wanted to start a company that sold software over the web. This was before cloud was invented. This was in 1998. And um, he also knew he wanted to have this new model of philanthropy, he wanted to bridge the digital divide. And so I believed in what I was doing. I loved being a teacher. No idea what cloud technology was, enterprise software, again, who he was. And I just said, if you're going to deal with kids and technology, you need to hire teachers. Don't just be a company that gives away money. Little did I know that was my interview. And <laughs> I was moved out from Atlanta to San Francisco to help start the Salesforce Foundation. But it was just like, I believed in what I believed. Didn't really know who anyone was. And mm. I land here in Australia, and it's everyone puts their pants on the same way. And you know, why not have that conversation? <laughs> and it's, you're never going to, you know, always imagine, I heard a great quote, that s whoever you're talking to is the most interesting person in the world. And um, understanding what, where they're coming from and just sharing what you have mm. to say. Um, Lucinda, maybe you can comment on some of that, but also there's a, there's a question about what about, it's kind of the flip side, what have you seen negative behaviour mm. in your environment? Um, how should you call that out? How do you approach that side of things? Again, um, having constructive, not combative conversations that can try and actually move us forward. Yeah, I, mean, I think back to a lot of comments, incidents in my early career, particularly that I now just wish I had called out, yes. <laughs> um, but didn't. Um, but there's even like subtle conversations. My Uber driver on the way here, we're talking about why I was going to Sydney, what we're doing, my company, etc. And he's like, oh, well, it's good that you can do all that before you have children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, actually, I already have two. And he's like, 
menopause. And then, he's, and then it's sort of, you know, well, they must miss you and they must, I'm like, all right, here we go. But it's kind of those moments uh, where I think it's important to say, well, yeah, of course they're sad, but they're sad when my partner goes away too. And, and uh, uh, you know, we actually need to think more broadly about that. And I think I feel now confident in all of those smaller conversations to, mm. to bring that up. Um, but more generally, I mean, just going back to the previous point, I think confidence is is obviously something to work on. I think um, I'm, I'm usually told to be more quiet than more loud and sit on my hands and <laughs> not wave them around so much. But um, I also think as a society, we could be better at like listening to other people. I think, you know, it's not all about being sort of loud and forthcoming. I think we could be better at listening to quieter voices as well. Yeah. Now, do you have girls or boys? I have two boys. Two boys. Mm. So... I was going to ask, because this, per- this person's asked on the, on the tablet, how can we best prepare our young women for the jobs of the future? But yeah. I guess there's a conversation about preparing our young men. And there's a whole right. lot of stuff you can read and think about when it comes to preparing our, our men for the future. Where Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I have two white males, right? So I feel like mm. the pressure it's to like do a, responsibility, a good right? job yeah. is really high. <laughs> if I get this wrong, it's going to be bad for the world. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of the approach that I feel like... Um, you know, when I'm talking to them and, and, you know, obviously, you know, I'm raising them to be strong feminists, but it's amazing. Um, Can I just share one quick story there? Uh, Amazing how much society affects that. Um, You know, I'm the sort of the breadwinner, the full-time worker in my family, Um, but we were watching the women's marches in Washington, D.C. two years ago on YouTube. I'm sure a lot of you watched that. And we were listening to a particular song, a sort of uh, flash mob song uh, that had been coordinated um, you know, everyone's wearing the pink hats and it's, you know, we're watching this and, and my, my then four-year-old's like, you know, well, what are you watching? And I'm like, well, you know, it's his song. He's like, why are they singing? I'm like, well, you know, there are, there are some people out there who think that boys are more important than girls. Um, and so they're, they're telling people about that. And he's like, by singing a song? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> action station. So yeah, I sort of feel that there is this um, need to be constantly exposing voices yeah. uh, and examples everywhere. Yeah, I've got one boy and one girl, so if I stuff one up, I've just got to work really hard on the <laughs> second one. That's my, my, my view. Uh, with, uh, I mentioned earlier the, the IBM robot. Um, so... That's huge implications uh, of thinking, rationalising robot for the future of the workplace, for us as future participants in, in life and the world. How do you think, and this, there's a question here on this as well, um, where is it? Yeah, so what qualities do you think are valuable to have to work in tech? What skills are good to focus on developing? I think of this as kind of like future-proofing ourselves. If robots can think and rationalise, what are we going to do so that we're still useful to everyone? Empathy. Good. Ah. Empathy. I mean, just that because we've talked about this, robots sometimes scary. That whole, you know, robots are going to take over the world. They're debating. My biggest fear is is the the loss or the lack of empathy that, or a new empathy that might be created. Um, I think empathy in all kinds of in technology and building and designing and working and managing and playing and talking is 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 key to to all of that success. Mm. I mean, to me, it's like uh, it's more about problem solving than it is the the actual detail of the technology. You know, as, as someone who's sort of not a non-technical founder mm. running a tech business, it's not that I'm I'm not learning. I mean, like I'm currently studying data analytics and, and various other things, but that's never going to be my expertise. But understanding, you know, that creativity to see where the problems are to be solved and how we solve them, um, I think that's that's the future skill. 
Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, and actually, it's interesting because there's this kind of debate happening at the moment as whether all our kids need to code or nobody needs to code because coding will not be a thing. Um, and it's interesting because I think we're too focused on the actual act of coding and not more on the problem solving and critical thinking that uh, that act, those skills that are that um, our children learn when they learn to code, mm. um, but also adults learn when they start learning how to code. Um, and I think that critical thinking and a combination of all those things, the critical thinking, problem solving and empathy are definitely the things that we need to have for the future. And it doesn't need to be a four year coding um, mm. degree course and that's becoming more and more apparent that you can do that like Coder Academy run um, workshops that are fairly short and there's lots of organizations out there that actually teach people um, coding in a very short period of mm. time you don't have to have a four-year degree course to have a degree or a um, position in technology. Yeah, that's one of my questions still. I think personally you look around and you can say oh people are saying you need these skills for the future. It's always hard to decide for people in this room how do you get those skills? Mm. Um, we can all work on empathy, I think. But <laughs> um, yeah, how do you how do you upskill yourself in an environment which is constantly changing? It feels so hard to see where, it all, where it's all going, let alone preparing yourself. Um, Lucinda, how do you think about that? You've just said you're doing a couple of courses, so you think kind of the formal style education courses is is the way that you're approaching it or? Sometimes. I mean, there's a specific area that I need to learn a lot more about. So I'm taking a course, but generally I would approach education much more in a relational way through networks, events, mm -hmm. trying to find people who know about this, who can either mentor or introduce me to people and absorb information and learning that way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I used to live in Australia years ago and then moved back to Ireland for a few years. And the tech scene in Ireland was absolutely amazing. Mm. There was, it was just taking off. Um, but then coming back to Australia, I kind of wasn't sure what to expect. Um, but when I came back here and um, realized there was this massive tech meetup scene here, I couldn't believe it that people would actually come to these meetups for free and teach people about all these different mm -hmm. subjects. It was um, phenomenal. So there's some, some amazing groups out there like Girl Geek um, Dinners, there's Women Who Code, there's Node.js, there's, there's so many different groups. Um, that will teach you how to teach you some of these skills for free. And uh, so I, uh, while I don't have kids, I was a teacher. The kids and the young people are the ones that can be the teachers as well to learn from them and mm. have them troubleshoot and plan and, and figure and do the problem solving. Um, you learn more by teaching. So you have kids and young people teach older people that, you know, what they're doing. So it's not so scary and they're breaking it down to, into easier language. We are also number one on Twitter. We're trendy on Twitter, people. <laughs> 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 just got thank you very much. Uh, thank you for letting us know. That's fantastic because that means people are having a conversation uh, elsewhere and that's part of, I guess, what we're talking about as well today. So that's great. Um, can I ask you, this is a great one. Natasha, a couple of minutes ago, uh, just as in the world of fashion, there are trends in the world of tech. So how do you differentiate between fads and future trends? That's the age-old question. Mm. Julie, I guess you're in the kind of startup oh, space. I was so hoping these guys would answer oh, for this. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't have an answer for that. I'm, I, you know, I'm sure there's someone out here that could probably answer it better. That's, mm. the, that's the way I, when I don't know the answer, I ask yeah. the audience. <laughs> I mean, I, I By mean, the way, there are yeah. microphones. Yes. Yeah, and I, you there know, are like microphones. I haven't seen up. any hands, but please. <laughs> Who might want to answer trends versus... Mm. Someone might want to do it. Anyway, there's the crickets. I said I wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think technology is not a trend. I mean, that's that's everything. I do find a lot of the startup hype kind of nauseating sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder whether 
whether that particular model of startup may be a trend. But the idea of being able to build new businesses, solve new problems, new technology, I think that's here to stay. Mm. Yeah, there's a, a trend and I think Gartner does it. There's a graph that they do that actually shows the path of technology trends. And you can see, you know, the initial idea and there's huge um, kind of interest and it peaks and then there's the kind of trough of dis disillusionment when yeah. you realize how little um, or, you know, how it's not that widespread and there are issues with the technology and then as it slowly adopts, it goes back up again. So absolutely, you can map it on Gartner's um, trough of dis disillusionment trend, yeah. um, but it's identifying, w you know, where on that um, graph the technology is but um, I know when I, when I was finishing up at university, um, I had been mainly programming in C. And so when I was looking at the jobs that are available in the um, industry at the time, a lot of people were talking about C++ and Java, which were object-oriented um, programming. And all of my, s my lecturers said, it's a fad. <laughs> it's absolutely a fad. And so 20 years later, we're still programming in Java, <laughs> and it's by far the biggest employer. And, you know, so... Um, yeah, what are they doing? Yeah, <laughs> so if the, your university lectures cannot identify what the actual trends are going to be yeah. when you're leaving college, it's, it's very difficult to actually... But leaving yourself open for constant learning is the thing, and I think that's when you see engineers really succeed in this industry it's because they don't assume that we're all going to be coding in java in another 10 years they are constantly learning the new technologies and jumping to the next thing because they recognize that yeah i do have a little answer now <laughs> I <can get> it. <laughs> um I, i'm seeing a lot of trends as technology solving for problems when we when we're doing all of our intake and applications for for the accelerators and a lot of it is solving for um elderly and senior senior tech and, and, um, and disability. There's a lot of people that are using tech to solve those problems. Market-based solutions trying to um, connect people. Uh, Market-based solutions for solving social problems, but using tech, designing companies that are addressing a lot of those problems um, are really important. Um, workforce development and, and tracking employees has also been something, that, a trend that we've seen come through for a lot, mm -hmm. of, the, a mm -hmm. lot of the startups that have been applying. Um, to speak very practically again, there's a question here to, to ask, how can you encourage adaptability and the ability to move quickly in yourself? How do you, I, I, you know, if I'm to be honest, sometimes, you know, in life, you're just feeling like you're just treading water, you're just getting there every day. It's hard to get, you know, the extra mile out of yourself. So how do you encourage adaptability and ability to move quickly in yourself? I try and just genuinely believe that I can learn new things, whether it's like learning a personal aptitude or a skill, that it's, it's possible. Yeah. You can mm. change yourself, you can change what you know, and I try on a good day <laughs> yeah. to adopt that posture and not get too stuck in the way things are. Because it, it can seem like, well, I'm good at that, I'm not good at that. And I, I'm now trying to you know, really adopt the mindset of, well, I I, that might always be like my left hand, but I can learn that. Mm. And um, that's quite liberating. Um, I was going to say, get out of your own bubble. So yeah. I spent 17 years in San Francisco in that bubble and coming out, stepping out to this big job with 
didn't know everything. I had that imposter voice. You know, we had a long conversation. Um, I let her sit at the table. I came down here. I found an amazing network of women and people and supportive people. Part of the accelerator trips that um, they do down here is take a trip up to up over to, to San Francisco to see how it's done up there. Um, I've, I've seen every trip that I've taken our founders on after they see what's going on in America and be being American, but not too American. <laughs> um, and then coming like back Americans down and seeing the urgency and what is possible and not having that fear of going out and you know building that confidence. So I just say get get out of the bubble, step out of there, and be okay with with that little bit of fear. Yeah, and just being comfortable with mm. being uncomfortable. I yeah. think that's the mm -hmm. thing. If you're uncomfortable, you're in the right space. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that helps answer the question about. Um, how you have conversations with women who are feeling they want to leave the tech industry because they find it difficult in the industry as a woman. So I think, I think we've addressed that in the discussion there. Um, another question here about, ah, oh, interesting. If a woman is looking to work at a tech company, how can she find out if the company has the right kind of culture? Mm. I'm actually going to hold that one because I think Aubrey Blanche later mm. is going to speak a lot about that. She's got some pretty big ideas about yeah, ditching this culture fit concept you might have seen some of her comments this week so I might I might leave that till this afternoon so I promise that will get answered well I'm pretty sure that's going to get answered um and well just a comment about leaving yeah. the tech industry yeah, you leave with a bunch of skills that are still transferable to whatever is next the problem solving the um the connection who's who so leaving a tech job you the still the skills will still come with you in the network I, I know that my network um, has been phenomenal for, so when I left the formal, well, I guess I'm still back in tech, but when I left one tech job, the, you know, they still come with you and they're, they're trans transferable. Anyone else want to throw anything in? Well, Matt, oh, there's another question. What do you make of the idea that women need to take on the qualities of men to succeed? Have we moved past that conversation yet? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> um, it still happens, though. I still... Um, we had a, a, a discussion recently with a, a group of women at another event I was at, and um, one of the discussion points was about how you phrase your emails. Mm -hmm. And i got to tell you, I have no time to rephrase my emails. <laughs> if I have to second-guess <laughs> everything I write down... Um, so I hope we do move past that because it isn't about getting women to change their behavior. It's about changing everyone's behavior so that um, the culture of the company is more accepting of different, different mm. ways of saying things. Mm. Uh, there's a question from Elizabeth as well um, saying we also have to go to increase our cultural diversity, mm. including women yep. of color, and uh, asking for some of the ways that that's been seen to be most effective. And, and again, I think I might defer to the afternoon session because I know Aubrey's got some um, pretty bold advice about that. Um, I guess just finally, one thing I was thinking about when I was listening to people like Tim um, and Layla and Mina is, does anyone have advice on finding their purpose? You know, these guys have such a strong purpose to what they do. And I, some of us sitting, you know, in our jobs think, mm, what's the, you know, what's the bigger picture? I'm not talking religion. We, we've only got 20 <laughs> seconds left. So, <laughs> um, yeah, how do we, how do you find your purpose? Well, I, I know just listening to things that make me happy or that, that mm -hmm. get this aha moment as VP of all things fun, meaningful and rewarding, yes. <laughs> um, getting people out to becoming radically generous with their time and their, their um, expertise, that's really has been helpful and things open up and we all have the ability be, to be radically generous and that comes back in spades. The abundance will come back. You know, we talked about listening to the things. So you were talking about, you hear those, the negative feedback, listen to the positive feedback. You know, sometimes we'll go, oh no, I'm 
not that good, or I don't really know what I'm doing, or I'm not comfortable on stage, or I don't... But li start listening to the way other people see you. And I think that's one way to become bolder and, and finding your purpose mm -hmm. and, and li listening through how other people um, see you and, and give you feedback. This is a really great one to answer on 20 okay. seconds over time. But what, where are the best platforms to find the large communities of, of, well, communities built by women for women? Where are your go-tos to, I know there's a women um, in media type um, organisation that I look at and you can find female guests for your programs who are you know happy and ready to speak so just so you can seek out some female voices where the obvious male voices might have already you know been used a lot of the time so where are your go-tos? Uh, there's quite a number in the tech space yep. so there's women in technology there's females in technology um, there's women who code um, uh, girl geeks, there's Code Like a Girl, um, there's quite a number of really fantastic supportive organizations for technology, certainly. Shameless, shameless plug, CEO yes. is, a, is a phenomenal network <laughs> that's, gonna, that's launching here in Australia this week, next week, so CEO. Lucinda? Uh, I mean, I'm part of like women in planning and other yes. kinds of like uh, networks like that as well, which are, you know, phenomenally important, but I also seek out particular mentors um, as well as wider networks. All right, so Lucinda Hartley, co-founder of Neighbourlytics, Julie mm. Trell, Global Head of Muradi and CEO Australia, coming to a, a town near you <laughs> this week, <laughs> and Rasheem Parks, the Chief Technology Officer of Gumtree Australia. Thank you so much. That's all from us today at Westpac Wire. For more, head to westpacwire.com.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.